Hello and welcome to Chagas' Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. In our second episode, I spoke to Dr. Stephen Kilday, a researcher from Oak Park, and we discussed winter wheat disease control strategies. I first asked Stephen what crops are looking like out there and what disease levels are like, considering the very dry weather over the last couple of weeks. I suppose there's a, a number of different types of crops um, out there. You've got the stuff that was sown normal uh, start of October, a very very small amount of that crop, some then November, December, and then some into the into the spring of this year. I suppose if we take uh, the most of the crops will be November, sort of early December. And they, you would expect, haven't got a huge amount of disease. But surprisingly, some crops have uh, quite a bit of septoria knocking around them, even for that very late sown. I suppose this comes down to that we've had a very, very wet, uh, sort of winter. Now, of course, the last couple of weeks have been very dry, and that has slowed up the diseases such as septoria. And Stephen, are, is the are the um, levels low enough that uh, guys could consider maybe adjusting their fungicide plan even at this early stage? Um, I, I I don't think so. I think, being honest, what we have to look at in, in winter wheat is from really now onwards. When we take the sort of assumption that a lot of crops, irrespective of when they're going to be sown in Ireland, um, especially from autumn through the winter, will have enough disease that come April, come May, if it, if it has, actually the weather conditions turn favourable for disease such as septoria, there'll be enough inoculum in the crop. And I think we're at that point that in most crops, there's enough inoculum there that actually if the weather turns bad from now onwards, you, you, we will have problems. So uh, at this stage, I wouldn't be changing necessarily how we would be um, controlling disease going forward. That said, look, of course, there's going to be some of those crops that went in in January and early February. They're a different beast altogether. They, they're probably only coming out of the ground now. They have a lot, of, a lot uh, more to go um, and they will, of course, carry less disease. But the ones from before Christmas, I think they, we would probably be treating those as normal. Okay, so when you're putting together a, a normal uh, fungicide plan or you know, planning to control that disease over the season to try and maximise yield, what are the, the elements that you would consider the most important that, that a farmer or an agronomist out there should take into consideration? Okay, I suppose when we're, we're talking about uh, disease control, we're really talking about pest control. And I think we have to start at the very, very start um, and, and sort of call what we're actually doing at this stage, integrated pest management, that IPM, and acknowledge that it is that we're integrating all the different measures of control to try and minimise the impact of the pest on the, on the, I suppose, the ability of the crop to produce the yield that we want to be able to sell. Now, this, of course, we have to build on the various different pillars of IPM, and this comes from your prevention, your suppression. There are things that probably we, uh, at this stage, are, are, we're, not as, uh, we're not able to do as hugely as much as I suppose we would have been able to do in choosing our variety and the sowing date and how we establish that, that type of crop. So we're moving into the next sort of phase of that IPM or integrated pest management. That's now monitoring the crop. That's monitoring growth stages. That's monitoring disease levels. And then making decisions, as you say, in terms of the fungicide program, in terms of how we manage it from there on and making sure that we minimize impact on, on the, the crop. And so what decisions are you going to be making? So as I say, you're going to be monitoring. So that's going to be monitoring the crop itself. Um, what is its potential to start off with? Um, that's, that's one of the very clear things that you might, might be looking at. So how many plants are there, et cetera. But then we're moving really into the, the, the point where the crop is starting to extend and we need to get our timing of fungicides right. Irrespective of what fungicide we're going to be using, we need to make sure that they are timed correctly. They are timed so that actually they're protecting the upper canopy as much as possible. 
Um, so we're really looking at, um, from now on, we're looking at leaf tree uh, fully emerged. Now we can gauge some of that from the, 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 the growth stage of the crop, but being realistic about it, we have to get into a crop, we have to pull those main stems, and we have to unroll those leaves back so we can get that leaf tree and know exactly where that leaf tree is at. That's monitoring the crop. Monitoring is also about what diseases are there. So I mentioned something like septoria. I'd expect that most crops um, sown before uh, Christmas would have uh, septoria there, whether it's at low, whether it's at high. If it's very visually at high, you'll see it. But if it's, if it's actually a low enough level, you mightn't see a huge amount. That doesn't mean that it won't take off. So we're monitoring the disease. That's septoria. But the other one I think we should be monitoring also and, and having a day, an idea if it's going to be present or not um, is yellow rust. Um, because at this stage, this is where we actually would start to be thinking about how we tailor our fungicide programs to the diseases that are going to be there. So I was going to ask you that, Stephen, just in terms of septoria. We talk a lot about septoria in wheat and wheat and I suppose a lot of people would see that as the number one target. But as you mentioned, yellow rust, how should a guy tackle that if he has it in his crop? Or even if he's even if he's out there and he is um, maybe suspects it's there. Okay, I suppose it's not one that would always been of uh, I suppose importance to to us in Ireland. We tend to have a a very wet climate, um, very wet weather, um, which it doesn't always suit yellow rust. And I think we would have always thought of it as a across the water sort of an English type of uh, disease that's more prevalent there. Uh, and it and it is. Um, however, we, we do in the last, I suppose, number of years, we have been growing quite a few varieties that are fairly susceptible to yellow rust and it can have a major impact early on in the season. Um, so that would be the first thing that I would be looking at. I'd be looking at the recommended list. It'll give you an idea of the susceptibility of the variety. It won't say that, I, look, it, it could well, we could have well have changes in the susceptibility of varieties during the season. But if it's a known susceptibility, there's a good chance that it will be, it'll show up yellow rust first. It's about getting into the crop. It's about walking the crop. Look, yellow rust will come up. You'll see these yellow foci, what we call foci, which are patches or circles of, of disease. Getting into that, seeing if it is actually yellow rust. So you will need to look for the pustules. Um, and then it's actually about tailoring the fungicide program. At this stage, it's about tailoring how you respond in terms of that fungicide program. Do you need to go early to try and, uh, I suppose, hold that disease or try and uh, knock it back? Um, and, and these are decisions that are going to have to, I suppose, come on a, a field-by-field basis. We're not sort of saying that every crop needs to be treated for yellow rust because we know we know it doesn't. And we know that there'll probably be some varieties in some locations that would be more uh, more prone to it. And I'm thinking of somewhere like the Northeast, um, and I'm thinking of some of the varieties such as Bennington and JB Diego. Um, so there, there would be, they would be the priorities. So Stephen, the message would be, I suppose, to... Um to get out into your crops, walk it, uh, identify it, and take reasonably quick action if you see it there. Would that be would that be reasonable? Yeah, I suppose. Okay, it's going to get to the point of okay, how how active do you think that yellow rust is? If it's looking very active, if it's I suppose you're you're really strong yellow pustules, um, then I think we're going to have to try and take some action on that. And look, previously we would have said that look, we need to protect our results as much as possible. And we still do need to protect our results, but we are aware that in some of those varieties that are very successful and given the, the weather conditions to some extent that we're having at the moment, it may be justified to be using an azole in some of those early applications, what we would have been traditionally calling our T0, which is a pre-stem extension um, just before the, 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 the leaf tree application or a couple of weeks before it. Um, it may be a case of a, an azole at that time, and that's uh, we're looking at epoxy or, or a type of azole. 
But I think we do need to be aware that, look, what we do in terms of azole treatments at this stage will have an impact in terms of their efficacy against septoria. And septoria still is our number one disease. So the alternative, of course, to the azole is going to be the strobilurine, um, uh, such as your, your, your paracrostrobin or your, your azoxystrobin, that will, will hold the disease, maybe won't have the same level of curativity as the azole, but it will hold it. And in that scenario, if that is used, then you need to be thinking about DLRust in the follow-up application in terms of your, your leaf tree, so that you're using a very strong uh, yellow rust fungicide that is equally good on septoria. Okay, so when you talk about septoria, you mentioned uh, resistance there uh, in, in your comments. Uh, we know that there's resistance to not just triazoles, but uh, strobilurins and obviously SDHIs as well. Which of those chemistries, or is there something else? What's doing the heavy lifting now, or has been over the last couple of years, in terms of disease control? From a septor, yeah, in, in, indeed, from a septoria point of view, over the last two years, we think that actually the 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 most of the lifting has been done by chloroplan. No, I say most of the lifting. I think in in terms of fungicide programs, we could probably break down um, individual components to give them a third or third or third. Uh, so we would have had an azole going in for septoria control that would give you a third of the disease control and a third of the yield response, and SDHI giving you a third of the disease control and a third of the yield response, and chlorothanil giving a third equally. And um, look, we're aware that chlorothanil it's used up is on the twenty is the twentieth of May, so we are moving to a scenario where we don't have that. And um, look, we have alternative multi sites that are going to be there, um, but we do have to start thinking beyond that. Um, that said, look, the azole component is providing some level of control and the SDHI component are providing some level of control. That's the, the azoles that I'm talking about are the azoles that if we, if you think about 2019, um, and the SDHIs are the, the SDHIs that we currently have. But I, I say the azoles in 2019 because we have, we have a new azole uh, on the market this year. We might get to that in just a second, Stephen, but just thinking about um, up till now, I suppose our, our um, advice was that we should try and rotate fungicides as much as we could to try and prolong them, not just, I suppose, maybe for their overall, overall longevity, but also within the season. Is there still a role for rotating fungicides in, in a subterranean program? Indeed, yes. Uh, I think there, there is still a, still a role. I think over the last, I, I think about three years, we have seen a sort of uh, an erosion of azole sort of either components. We talk about the components or the different types of your epoxy or your pathio in one group and your, your met and the teb in another group. And there definitely is still some differences between them. The differences that we had maybe five, six years ago are not as great anymore. That's inevitable. That's because we've been applying this strategy for the last couple of years, and it's inevitable that the, the population will adjust. Um, but that said, I think we still should be doing the same sort of strategy as much as feasibly possible. Now, and that, that's why I think in terms of when we talk about an azole at, at that early application, if we really require it, that you actually then think about how you might alternate or how you might rotate that azole component in your next application. Um, and that is important to try and manage it as much as possible. It's a case of, look, we don't necessarily want to have to do this, but it is a case of if yellow rust is really active and, and we have to try and get on top of it, I think with the introduction of Revisol, it gives us a little bit more scope in terms of later in the season from a septoria point of view that we have, we have another ASL that isn't as impacted in terms of the, the mutations that we currently have. Um, but that said, with the other ASLs that we have, we still have a capacity to delay the resistance development. 
And if we have that capacity, then we should still utilize it. Okay, so when you talk about um, Revisol or uh, the, being the, the brand new active or Revistar as, as the product name that growers might recognize over the next few months, how should guys use that? Is it is it a case of we uh, put it in at every timing or is there specific timings where you think we get the most out of it in terms of uh, disease control or you know, return on yield or return on money spent? Okay, so from the first aspect, just to describe what it is, it is an azole, it is a, a new, I suppose, uh, fungicide within that group. So it's not necessarily a new mode of action. And it does appear to be working quite well against our current uh, population of septoria, which is a welcome development, most definitely. However, that said, I think, look, we have to be aware that it has the potential, like every other of the, the azoles that are out there, uh, the SDHIs, the strobularins, et cetera, those single site chemistries have the potential to be broken. Um, and septoria is really adept at doing this. So we need to manage it. We need to manage that um, in a way that we prolong the efficacy of this molecule as much as possible. Um, and to do that, look, we have to then think about what we're going to be using it for and how can we maximize it. Um, and we have to look at the rest of the program that is available. And I think when we can look at the program, we can see that we, we still have SPHIs, we still have other azoles, uh, and we still have chlorothalonil for part of that program, more than likely. Um, and in that said, in that sort of scenario, do we require using Revisol in both applications? I'd say given the current conditions, current weather conditions leading up to this uh, first application in terms of a leaf tree, we probably don't require to be putting in Revisol necessarily at that application. That said, it may well be suited there if there's very, very high levels of disease. But is it required twice would be, would have, would be a question that I would be very clearly asking. Um, we do know that it is registered twice um, or registered for use twice, but that doesn't necessarily mean we have to use it twice. We have to be, we have to be aware of how we use this will determine how effective it is in the, into the foreseeable future. So from where we are, we probably get the best out of it um, at the flag leaf timing or the main timing. I think that would be, yeah, that would be where I would be thinking about putting it this year. Uh, and it does leave us, it does give us that scope that if there is crops that have to receive an azole early on, that we could alternate our azole component, and then we could follow up into that uh, sort of flag leaf application where we probably have selective, we've had that early selection, that actually its impact of that early selection will not be as large in terms of uh, in terms of Revisol. But to be aware, as I emphasize, what we do and how we use it will have impact. Stephen, I just wanted to ask you one final question, and that was about, um, and you mentioned already, you mentioned chlorotalonil or Bravo. Obviously we can't, or that's been deregistered, so, we, so farmers can't use it after the 20 of May this year. I suppose there's a couple of questions in there. One is that, um, is will farmers be able to get out using Bravo uh, in, in the current season in terms of the main uh, fungicide program? And secondly, if they either don't because it's too early uh, or to, to use it uh, in terms of the flag lease frame might maybe going on until maybe after the 20th of May, or maybe secondly, they can't get access to it. Is there, is there another product that can replace it? Okay, so the first question is, do you think, do I think farmers will be able to, I suppose, get it on in terms of before the 20th of May? There's quite a, quite a difference in, in terms of growth stages, even between crops that might have been maybe a week or two weeks apart. Normally, you think that these will come together very, very well in terms of the growth stages. But even in some of the trials in Oak Park, there's a considerable difference in where crops are at. Um, and it would be where one that's I think, yeah, there will be crops that will probably get their flag leaf application and that sort of scenario before the 20th of May. And that means that, yeah, chlorothalonil, there's no issues there. But there may also be other crops that might. Um, 
Is there an alternative there? Yes, look, we have fulpit available. Fulpit is definitely available. Is it as good as chlorothana? I think everybody would accept that uh, direct comparison of the two actives, clearly chlorothana will win. Um, that said, it does provide some level of control. And as a multi-site, it isn't as, I suppose, uh, at risk from resistance development as the other components that you would be putting in the tank with it. So it does provide that uh, resistance management that we do require. So it would be one that I would be sort of recommending that in the absence of chlorothanol, um, that we should be including it. We should be including a multi-site. And that's what it is, the multi-site that we'll be using. Great, Stephen. Look, that's brilliant. Thanks very much for your time. That was a great roundup of Victoria Control and Reach. Thank you. That's it for the Tillage Edge this week. And my thanks to Dr. Stephen Kilday for joining me on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the Apple Podcast or Spotify so you never miss a show. And for more farming news, go to joggers.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. And I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.